0: Breaking news! Local squirrel finds out he has a nut allergy with hilarious results. Hey, this is the It's All True podcast from TouchVision, America's coolest source for real news, powered by America's second favorite source for fake news, the whiskeyjournal.com. I'm your host, Tim Barnes, and you just heard a fake news headline from comedian and touch vision producer Eric Nivorowski. In each episode, I chat with a guest and then ask them to reveal their own headline for a funny, personal, true story. This week, I talked to Kevin Allison, host of The Risk Podcast.
1: I'm wanting more and more and more to get more diversity in, in Risk, like I'm I'm trying to get a show that we could do uh, in a prison.
0: Member of the late, great
1: sketch group, The State. Another member of The State, Michael Ian Black, said, hey, I think you should just
0: be yourself up there on stage." <laughs> An owner of the greatest laugh in the world. We talk about all those things and more, but before we do, here's a clip of Kevin Allison on Risk, focusing on the theme of joy. So it's my first day of my education,
1: and I'm in detention. But I'm I'm there with my head down, and I look across the room, and I notice that there's this little girl, Rachel, who has apparently been asked to stay behind as well. And Rachel was the cutest girl in the class. So naturally, I, like everyone else, just wanted to impress her. So I got this idea, and I start going, psst, psst, Rachel. And she looks up kind of wide-eyed, because she doesn't want to get into any deeper trouble. She's already in 10 minutes of detention. So I say, look, look, look. And there was a stapler there. It was Miss Patty Shaw's stapler, gigantic thing, sitting on my desk. Very dangerous, Miss Patty Shaw. I put my thumb underneath the stapely part of the stapler, and I took my fist, and I acted like I was gonna staple my finger, and at the last minute, I go, pull it back and don't do it, and she burst out laughing. And she had to stifle it so she wouldn't get in trouble. And I just suddenly felt this rush at that reaction from her because something in me clicked and I was beginning to understand that she liked me right away instantly she liked me and I could probably get everyone in my kindergarten class to like me if I could make them laugh like that.
0: storyteller Kevin Allison performing At Risk, the live show and podcast he's been hosting since 2009. But before that, his road to seeking laughter from strangers led to the start of his comedy career in the legendary sketch series The State on MTV.
1: We started off as a comedy group at NYU and then almost... You know, very soon after graduating, we were on MTV with our own series. And when the group broke up uh, several years later, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was getting up on stage telling character monologues, basically, very kooky sketch comedy kinds of characters. And then in 2008, another member of the state, Michael Ian Black, said, hey, I think you should just be yourself up there on stage. (laughs) I said, oh, I'm way too weird. That's too risky. (laughs) And he said, oh, risky is the kind of stuff that people, that gets attention, that makes people pay attention because... If you're being risky, it probably means that you're opening up and being honest, and that's compelling. So I decided to create a show called Risk, uh, where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. The stories are Hilarious, horrifying, everything all over the spectrum, but most of them couldn't be on radio because they're so uncensored, you know, (laughs) both emotionally and in terms of like adult content will will go anywhere and. It, it really has changed my life yeah you mainly do them in New York is that correct in New York and, Los, and Angeles, Los Angeles the show happens once a month in both cities and then I hit two or three different cities
0: during the course of each month as well do you feel like you learned something about America do you learn something about <laughs> you know some sort of common thread between people these stories that you hear they're all kind of shocking but
1: yeah well I think that one of the things that I do learn is that when we watch television we or, or read the news or look at the the internet, what we're always hearing about is this discord between us as Americans. And one of the things that's so beautiful about storytelling shows, and one of the reasons I am wanting more and more and more to get more diversity in in risk, like I'm I'm trying to get a show that we could do uh, in a prison, I'd like to do a show- In a homeless shelter, like I I really want to start like reaching out into parts of the the community that you might not hear from so much, you know, Uh, because storytelling is so connecting. That is the place where we find ways that, oh, okay, I've never been through what that person's talking about, but I can totally relate to the emotions of it. And so I can
0: begin to understand other people better. Yeah. I'm a comic. Uh, and so I need a laugh. I need some sort of response (laughs) from the audience every 15 seconds or so, I'd say. You know what I mean? Oh, I gotcha. I've done storytelling shows, and the silence kills me. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how to gauge if it was a successful story by the end of it.
1: It's a different kind of listening for sure. And so many comics have done risk and said that same thing that it was nerve-wracking for them. <laughs> I mean, of course there are plenty of funny risk stories, but there are all there are also like absolutely dramatic ones which, you know, where the audience might be silent pretty much all the way through. But yeah, there's kind of a feeling, the vibe of the room that you get a little more used to over time. Another thing that, that really scares stand-ups is that you can't bail on a story, right? Yeah, because right? yeah, yeah, it is if, the,
0: <laughs> the main <laughs> course of yeah, <is> that story. <laughs> all right,
1: once you've started, you're you're in it for at least 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> what was that that feeling of safety that you got when you were doing the characters, when you were doing sketch that before you opened up to storytelling, what was the safety that you felt from that?
1: Well, originally, when I was in the state, the safety was in the numbers of the group, right? It it really felt like I was in a protected kind of womb because even when we would sit down with network executives at MTV, there would be like two executives and 11 of us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, when you're on stage with a group, if you you, uh, make a mistake... Uh, Someone can, you know, cover for you. Um, And then, uh, you know, I think that the reason my characters didn't work on stage for the 12 years I was trying to do that (laughs) was because maybe... uh, I I think that's that's exactly it. I I was trying to find safety in memorization and recitation, you know what I mean? Uh, Coming up with ideas that were kind of abstract and trying to present them through a different lens, as opposed to just, like— owning it right, you know, like in storytelling, you can say alright, now this might sound extremely strange, or I know you might be thinking I'm a total pervert now, or <laughs> maybe I'm wrong about this, but I did lie in this other, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you can just come clean about anything in a story and yeah. admit that okay, I'm not even sure, you know, I've had people end stories on Risk that don't wrap up in a bow like they do a, a lot of other storytelling shows where it'll be like uh, I have to admit, I'm still a total mess over this <laughs> issue.
0: <laughs> I feel like storytelling is a relatively new phenomenon. In my mind, it's been going on as like a cultural event. You're going to a storytelling show for about ten years. Is that? It,
1: it not uh, somewhere around '98, I think, is when The Moth begins, and The Moth is really the granddaddy of this of this movement. I would say that Spalding Gray brought a lot of people's attention to personal storytelling in the '80s. Also, I'd given up drinking alcohol, went cold turkey, just stopped, you know? I mean, after my mother's death, the only religious ritual left in our home was cocktail hour. I mean, what's a day without cocktail hour? Is this one big <coughs> bed. And, of course, there have been great raconteurs going way, way back in all sorts of ways. But, yes, as this sort of cultural phenomenon, I I always compare it to the folk music thing in New York in the 60s, where it's like, oh, hey, if you can
0: afford (laughs) an
1: acoustic guitar, (laughs) give it a shot.
0: (laughs) What does it mean to make a career out of storytelling, a career out of sort of delving into yourself is it sort of realizing that people really resonate with you as a, as a presence?
1: Well, you know, for me, I, I am the guy who curates risk. So I think that I take I think that I find it incredibly rewarding to almost work like a therapist in helping people prepare to tell their stories on the show. But as for me... I just started seeing a therapist myself this year because I spent 2014 not coming up with any new stories. I had this, you could say writer's block, but what it really was was that I felt like I was going through some strange stuff that I wanted to tell stories about, but that were just too close and confusing to me.
0: Is it okay to feel bad about yourself when you're not coming up with stories, though? I mean, it's your life. Like, Eventually, like you run out of angles, right? You run out of angles to... <laughs> it's it's it's
1: really true i mean i like i think that i sometimes wonder if i'll have to at one point switch over to fiction you know uh because i do love the format so much and i think it's really interesting to hear the way that people like benjamin walker or mike daisy like are now consciously taking some of their story. Yeah. It'll start off realistic and plainly from their life and then it'll just start to veer and mm-hmm. and they'll tip their hat that okay now this this part of the story is now fictional, you know.
0: But also I feel like when you're talking about, you know, a factual thing that happened, when you start talking about your emotions, that's when you can take a lot of leaps and bounds. Absolutely.
1: And- like that that famous case of what Mike Daisy told, you know, uh, made some life, stuff yeah. up on this American life. Uh, mm-hmm. Um he could have just gone into his daydreams. You know, he mm. could have gone into what if this or I can picture this happening. You know, I, you can do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> who are some of your favorite storytellers? Oh, well, you know, he is one of them. And Spalding Gray is another. Um, uh, Julia Sweeney was a big inspiration when I first started uh, doing Risk. So many of the ordinary people, ordinary people, <laughs> yeah. meaning like, you know, people who are not professional writers or 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 uh, actors who come on risk to share. Like, those have been some of the most moving stories. People contact me because they'll say, hey, I was molested as a child, or I just kicked a heroin addiction, or something like that. And not a heroin addict. (laughs) (laughs) I I just kicked a heroin addict, and I feel great. No. and I'll start working with those folks on their stories, and it doesn't matter that they're not a, a performer. You can hear the heart and soul coming out of the story, and uh, the, many of people's very favorite stories that have been on the podcast are not professional artists.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about sketch comedy today? There is a sketch comedy boom. A lot of people talk about Key and Peele. I oh, know I love Key and uh, True TV has a sketch comedy show, Friends of the People. It's sort of... Making a comeback in a way, yeah. Well, I think
1: that I think it goes in cycles. You know, it, uh, sketch comedy will never go away. I don't think it's it's kind of like this perfect little. It's also a kind of storytelling, really. A lot of sketches are miniature stories or fleshed out jokes, you know. Um, and but I think that one of the things that separates Key and Peele, for example, is there's just such a an intelligence about it, a smartness, a cleverness, a having having a finger on this is what this thing that's happening in the world feels like, and we are going to nail it. You know, <laughs> um, I really appreciate that, and I love the fact that they're big fans
0: of the state. <laughs> yes, yes, and you know, it's magical to see a sketch show that doesn't have a an audience laugh track. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's a sort of confidence in knowing that this is funny. You don't need, you know, that, that laughter to let you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, 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 an, another group that, that really caught my attention several years ago was uh Tim and Eric, <laughs> uh who are so bizarre. You know? <laughs> it's just it's 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 as if it's being made on a different planet, but very, very funny. Yeah. Broad City, I think I mean Broad City is not a classic sketch show like you know stop and start stop and start new scene but it's very sketchy you know and I think that those two just have the most wonderful energy
0: We'll be right back with more It's All True, in which you'll hear Kevin Allison's funny personal true story. I was starting to go into getting stage fright. I was having a lot of social
1: anxiety just hanging around with other comedians, right? But first, let's hear about what's new at TouchVision.
0: Hey, I'm Eric Niverowski, and did you know that there's a church in Indiana that is centered around smoking weed? The
1: state where we're growing love by the pound.
0: It's called the First Church of Cannabis. I spent the day with the church's founder. Yeah, it's
1: that old hippie thing. Peace love woodstock? Yeah. We compress it and shoot it out of bazooka at everybody, and it just goes boom. And I even took into
0: service. I love, you. I love you! Check out we Church, my day as a Canitarian on touchvision.com right now. Well not right now. Finish Tim's podcast. Tim? Welcome back to the It's All True podcast featuring Kevin Allison, host of Risk. In each episode, I ask a guest to reveal a funny, personal, true story. But before I do, I ask them, if a newspaper were to pick up the story, what would their headline be?
1: I think it would be something like, you're never up on stage
0: alone. Whoa. Sounds sounds a little scary.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, when does this story take place?
1: This takes place in '96, the year that the state officially broke up, and at that time, uh, Luna Lounge was like the church and the temple and the mosque of alternative of- comedy. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. It was there weren't there wasn't a lot of alternative comedy outlets in New York at that time, so. Everyone was there Marin, Louis C.K., Sarah Silverman, Amy Poehler. So it was just like an amazing place to be. And that's when I started doing these monologues, uh, character monologues. Mark Marin was usually the host. And one night I jumped up on stage. And as I put my foot on the stage, I was thinking, Holy cow! Because the group was officially broken up at, at that. You know, yeah, but like did the week people know? Uh, no, we knew, we knew, oh, yeah. but the world didn't know. That's yeah. always
0: the, the scariest phase of any sort of breakup.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the private <laughs> hell. <laughs> but I jumped up on that stage and I thought, Oh wow, I'm. I'm all alone. I'm really, really alone now. And I'm totally alone up on this stage because I was so used to the safety of having other people. If you screw up, someone will make a joke. You know, if if the career starts to tank a little, someone else will have a great idea of where to take things next. And what happened was I had this monologue. It was a 10 paragraph long monologue. At the end of the first paragraph, I'm supposed to look at someone in the audience and say, think about it, jackass. (laughs) And I got to that point, I said, think about it, jackass, and totally forgot the rest of the monologue. Ah. Uh, I I, I just went completely blank, and it was horrifying because I knew that there were all these big big hitters, uh, people who were on the cusp of becoming famous or already had a lot of buzz about them or in that audience. And
0: did you pass that grace period of silence that you're allowed? No!
1: What I did was I freaked out for a moment and then I thought... Just go back to the beginning of the monologue. Now, the monologue was, am I Charles Manson or am I not Charles Manson? I'm playing a <laughs> schizophrenic character who is yelling at the audience and then pleading with the audience and then uh, laughing at the audience about whether and what my identity really is. And so it was already a very confusing monologue. And here I am going back to the beginning and repeating the first few sentences. I think people at that point must have thought this is like a, you know, waiting for Godot or
0: something. <laughs> You know, um, but at least it fit the character. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it was
1: it was definitely feeling alternative.
0: <laughs>
1: and then, see, the thing of it was, I I was so filled with anxiety at that point because I was starting to go into getting stage fright. I was having a lot of social anxiety, just hanging around with other comedians, right. And so I, I, I could feel that there was this, oh, my gosh, am I as talented as everyone else? The same yeah. thing that, that, that all other performers deal with. But what I didn't see was happening was that so many people were getting up on that stage and letting their insecurities show and then joking about it and getting a good laugh. But I thought I had to be perfect. So I would write these these monologues and memorize them to death. I would put my Sony Walkman with megabase on, and I would listen to the monologue over and over and over and over while I walked up and down Manhattan Island. Um, so anyway, I get to think about it jackass again. And finally, you're forced to be in the moment.
0: Yes. <laughs> what happens is
1: I'm right back where I was. <laughs> I, I, I blank out again, like I've just run up to the same edge of the same cliff, right? <laughs> and it was kind of like, at that point, it was like looking out at the audience, I'm blank, they're blank, everyone's confused. I did really freak out this time, and I turned to Jeff Ross, who was hosting the show that night, and he, he was sitting on the side of the stage because the place was so packed, he couldn't get off the
0: stage, the yeah. host. And he's a professional roaster. And he's
1: a professional roaster. You would think those kinds of people would look. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I, I tried to say to him, I can't do this at a volume that I thought he would hear. But it ended up the whole place heard me say, I can't do this. <laughs> and I started to flee. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Out of here I'm I'm going to run off stage (laughs) But the thing of it was That the place was Completely packed And You know This was 1996 Things weren't very nice So there were no seats Everyone Uh was sitting Cross legged on the floor. And so, in order, and there's no aisle either. <laughs> the place was a terrible fire trap. So, Did
0: so you at least stay in character? Yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> I said, I can't do this. <laughs> I start like climbing over people, you know, kind of like, like I'm cli- you know, walking through a cactus field or something. And people assumed that this was an Andy (laughs) Kaufman-like joke, right? Because it's the alternative days. And uh, they started saying, no, you can do it. Do it, do it, do it. It, do It's it. amazing. And I start to have, like, tears coming down my face. I'm like, no, I really can't. I'm trying
0: to get out of here.
1: <laughs> and the next thing I know, someone grabbed my feet, and I was body surfing, right? <laughs> Which is really weird when people yeah. are sitting, like, Indian style. Yeah, because your body surfing <laughs> yeah, kind of low right, to the yeah, surface. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of belched me back up onto the stage, <laughs> and I was like, Wow, I'm not the dominant partner in this relationship anymore. <laughs> I've got to do what they want. And because somehow that sensation of they think I can do it, so I better do it, the monologue came back to me and I finished it beautifully. And it was a huge hit. And then a few... Years ago, I heard Bob Dylan, this recording of Bob Dylan at Lincoln Center in like 1963 or something like that. So he's real young. Everyone's wearing like suit and tie and stuff (laughs) like that. And he starts a song. uh, He just starts playing a rift and he plays it over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like, what? What's going on here? (laughs) And finally he stops and he says to the audience, does anyone know... The lyrics to this song How the song starts (laughs) And someone yells it out And I was like That's like my Luna Lounge experience Like You get up there You think you're on stage All alone But the audience Can help you out If you really need it You know what I mean? Like When I blank out Telling stories now I'll just ask the audience You know what was I just talking about, or where was I? you know, like like you can you can converse, you know? Uh, so that's what I say to myself now. Whenever I feel like, oh my gosh, can I do this? I think, you know what? I'll bet they think I can do it.
0: And that is the show. I hope you enjoyed it. For more information on Kevin Allison and Risk, visit risk-show.com. It's All True is a production of TouchVision. For more information on this program and other revealing, intimate, people-centered stories about the world we live in, visit touchvision.com today. I'd like to give a special thanks to WBEZ Chicago for allowing me to use their studio to record this episode. And if you dig the show, please subscribe to It's All True in iTunes and tell people about it. It's a big help, and it means a lot. My Twitter handle is Tim Barnes 451, and follow the show at All True Podcast. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you.